Hi there, and welcome to Vox Talk, your weekly review from the world of voiceover. I'm your host, Stephanie Cicerelli from Voices. Curious about consumer awareness, adoption, and openness to AI voices? James Poulter, CEO and co-founder of Vixen Labs in London, UK, joins me to discuss the Voice Consumer Index 2022. Vixen Labs is Europe's leading full-service voice agency. James and his team work with Fortune and FTSE 500 brands to develop voice and conversational strategies, products, and services to drive business value and connect with audiences in the most intuitive way possible. Vixen Labs' full-service offering covers strategy development, voice search optimization, voice app builds, audio content, and marketing. Welcome to the show, James. Thanks so much for having me, Stephanie. Well, thank you for being here. I was just thinking, James, it's so exciting to be talking to you again. And the last time we saw each other was a while ago in New Jersey. It was at the Voice Conference. That was really, really great. Um, but for those people who are new to Vixen Labs and the Voice Consumer Index, what does the report cover and aim to achieve? Yeah, so uh, the Voice Consumer Index is a report that we is now in its second fully fledged year. We did also have a kind of smaller version of it one year before that. And it's a study of what actual usual people in their homes, uh, in their cars and out on the street are doing with their voices when they're talking to their conversational assistants. And most of us will know those things by the letter A. I'm not going to set her off, but yeah, Alexa, Google oh. Assistant and, um, and Siri and, and all of those others. And we took a study for the past couple of years looking at 2,000 consumers in the UK, the US and Germany. So 6,000 people in all. And really trying to understand what are they doing with their voices? Why are they doing it? What content are they looking for? What are they trying to achieve day to day? And where are they using it as well, which is particularly important. And this year, we've particularly looked into a couple of key areas. One is this whole theme of the metaverse and where's all that going? Um, as you can imagine, many people are uh, intrigued if this will be the year of the metaverse or just the year that we talk about it. And then we're also looking at it by industry as well. So digging really deep into things like healthcare, into things like consumer packaged goods and retail, e-commerce obviously is a huge space for us, uh, particularly with Amazon being such a big player in this space. And then we're also looking into more of those practical use cases when it comes to things like entertainment, managing your content, managing getting things done through IoT devices. And we at Vixen Labs, um, we're as, as you said in the intro, we're a voice and conversational AI agency. We work with big brands around the world to really help them leverage this type of technology for their own purposes, whether that's building businesses, whether that's helping reduce friction from a conversational commerce perspective or at customer services. And uh, yeah, we've, we've put this survey together for the past couple of years with our partners at the Open Voice Network who stand very much for that ethical implementation of AI um, in the voice and conversational space. And uh, that's why we put it back together. And this year, again, we've just learned so much, which I'm, I'm excited to share with you guys um, about where voice is going in 2022 and beyond. Well, we're happy to be part of that and to hear it because everyone listening has either, you know, heard an AI voice or or they've been the AI voice, you know. So there's a lot of the the audience is, is kind of looking at this as maybe work that they could be doing, but but also just understanding how it's interacting in our day-to-day -day lives more. So, so in the opening letter of your report, you said that you've hit a tipping point. So uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think with every major technology revolution that comes around, whether that was as far back as the desktop PC or the web, uh, onto things like social media, mobile phones and apps, and then now more recently voice, we've gone past that point where less than half of people are using it every day. We're now into around about 60% of people in each of these major markets using voice on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. 
And when we, I say using voice, because obviously when we're talking about our voices, that's different from using a voice technology. We're talking about people saying things to their speakers, their smart speakers, perhaps their connected headphones, to the assistant, maybe through their car headset, um, or you know, out maybe in the retail environment, maybe talking to like a kiosk, a screen, an ATM or something like that. And at some point during the day, multiple times a day, people are now doing that. And we've reached that, what we call that tipping point, because we've gone into that majority. Now, most of us in these major markets where the where these services and technologies have been around for, say, more than five years, are now in a point where we're doing this multiple times a day. And that means that it's becoming as commonplace as picking up a mobile phone, as logging in on a desktop browser. And you know, we're used to having these things around us. And when that happens, when you reach that tipping point, what most crucially happens is that it begins actually to fade into the background kind of mentally. And what I mean by that is we don't think about it so much anymore. It just becomes natural, habitual, and therefore it becomes ingrained in what we do. And that's when it begins to take hold of a life of its own because we're no longer having to think actively about choosing to do it. We're just doing it naturally. And that presents a much bigger opportunity for all of us working in this space, whether we're on the providing end of providing voices uh, or on the brand side of things, creating experiences around those voices, because we're all naturally just general public choosing to do this uh, day to day. How interesting, because I remember even back in 2019, when we were all in New Jersey together, uh, it was still very much a, oh, well, how good can this stuff really get? You know, like, who's talking to these devices? And and uh, a lot of people are still quite apprehensive. And I, I think around that same time, maybe the year before, was it Amazon was like, oh, let's uh, make it really, really easy to get Alexas into people's homes. Like, it was like almost everyone had an Alexa at that point. It was becoming um, more adopted. Uh, so as we're looking at this, you're saying this is not so much novel anymore. This is normal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love putting it that way. Yeah, going from novelty to normalcy, because that is kind of where we're at now. So I think one of the big things, obviously, that we've seen during the pandemic is that as many people spent more and more time at home, um, you know, they're trying to do multiple things during the day, right? You're juggling working from home. You've got the kids who are home from being homeschooled, perhaps. You've got to still get the, the usual things done around the house in terms of household chores. And we've all become a lot more health conscious in particular. You know, you're not going to go swiping the screens in McDonald's or, you know, kind of tapping <laughs> away on ATMs that people have used before. Those habits have been built up during the two years of the of the pandemic. And at the same time, we also saw this rapid adoption of smart, um, smart speakers, particularly at the, the lower price point end. So the Amazons and Googles of the world, in, in some cases, basically giving away devices and uh, new classes of devices as well, where people are beginning to find more utility from them. Things like smart speakers with displays like the Echo Shows or the Google Nest Hubs, which now form you know over 20% of the market in each case. And so during those two things happening, we've cemented this behavior into our everyday lives. We started going, oh, actually, I can just get some of the simple things that I need to get done every day by just using my voice, by just asking and, and taking kind of action via conversation. And that doesn't mean that people want to show up just to have a conversation with these things, right? We're not kind of like spending all day chatting to these devices. I often use the example of you, know, you don't go to the drive-through window, right, to have a conversation with the server behind the little microphone in the booth. You go, you go to get a burger, but yeah. you get it done through the act of conversation. And that's what we've seen began to happen is that many people will now choose to just try and get those simple everyday tasks, those repeatable habitual tasks done with their voice rather than, you know, trying to get it brought up on a mobile phone, perhaps if their hands are busy, their eyes are occupied, um, or they're just, you know, finding it simpler and easier. And that's why people are turning to it. 
Right. And I think for our part at Voices, we've certainly seen uh, five years of digital transformation within five months because of the pandemic when it first got going there in 2020. Um, And just like the whole idea of people becoming more comfortable with these devices and talking to them and giving them directives and and asking them like, oh, tell me a joke, Siri, or, you know, like whatever it might be. Um, Just thinking the big three, you you cover them a lot in your report that that would be the Alexa, Siri and Google Assistant um, still going strong. Um, And as you've also said, people are less, um, you know, they're more hesitant to touch screens of any kind that are not yeah. their own, right? So it's it's no wonder that, uh, you know, voice search and, you know, voice activated encounters, if you will, are, are actually picking up quite a bit. But so the pandemic affected this, but just how much? Well, so we've seen in some cases, you know, double digit growth from 2021 to 2022. And Obviously, we don't have the benefit of having done this study for many years prior to the pandemic, so that we can only kind of see that growth as we've kind of come out of that kind of peak. Um, it's certainly in the UK and, and Germany, for example, at the time we conducted 2021 study, it was May of 2021, we were in the third lockdown, basically just emerging from that. So we do at least see you know, kind of quite a stark difference of life being relatively back to normal here in Europe um comparatively to last year and so we have seen both adoption as in people buying new devices or using those devices grow in some cases by 10 to 12 percent but what's really interesting is more not the total population of people that are using them but where they're using and what they're Mm. choosing to do with them and in particular what we've seen there is that habits that have been formed in the home where many of us were using our mobile phones when we're walking around the house and talking to them or turning to a smart speaker We've seen that habit that's been built up carry over into the outside world as the world has kind of unlocked and we've begun to take our technology on the move again with us. And particularly that's you know showing up in some new types of devices that are being used more, things particularly like connected headphones. You know, one of the facts that gets me every time I sit down and talk about this is, you know, Apple AirPods. Do you, uh, Stephanie, do you own any AirPods or are you uh, an David iOS does. person? Yeah, I definitely am familiar with them, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, the, the little kind of white earbuds we've all gotten used to seeing people around. If Apple was to break just AirPods out from Apple as a business, it would be larger than NVIDIA or Adobe on the stock market. Just what? the sale of those little white earbuds, right? And one of the biggest features of those is Siri being embedded into those headphones. And so what we're seeing is that people are getting so used to using their headphones, using their mobile phone to get things done with their voice, that they're beginning to carry that action out outside of the home when they're on the move. Maybe when you're walking or commuting, whether you're in public transport, whether you're in the car, which again, you're still using your mobile phone, but it's connected usually to the the head unit of your car. And so we're seeing people using that voice behavior that they built up at home and take that out into the real world. And what that really does for us is presents all sorts of really interesting new opportunities, because if you're out in the world again, all the different marketing cues that we are susceptible to, whether that's in out of home events and cinema and you know kind of out in the in the street billboards etc suddenly that becomes a new advertising vehicle for brands and businesses to call us to action not through a url not through a social media handle that we have to remember but natural language prompts that we can ask our voice assistants to get things done and so yeah it's beginning to open up that new pattern of behavior is beginning to open up new opportunities that come with it wow that's a lot of just like i guess trust that's been built up in these voices because I like you don't I don't know like I I personally do not have Siri turned on on my phone I've just chosen to not do that because I've 
just don't. I don't talk to Alexa, even though there might be one in the home. There's, you know, there's any number of, I, I've been a, one of those people who's just like, I don't know about this. And, you know, it, certainly in 2019, yeah, I was definitely more like that than I, I was now. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because it's out there. People are using it. People are trusting these devices uh, and the voices in them. Uh, in your report, you also said that conversational, convenient and helpful voices seem to be, uh, I guess, what is helping to build that trust with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think what what we've seen with trust is that there's this year for the first time in, in all time that we've tracked any of this is that that mistrust that people have in these technologies are listening to me, kind of what you're alluding yeah. to, Stephanie, <laughs> is that that has decreased for the first time. And that's really fascinating to us because one of the big things and why we call this this moment that kind of tipping point moment is that what we've generally seen, and this is my kind of thesis on the internet for the past few decades, is that whenever... We, uh, yeah, the, the history of the internet is giving over privacy for utility. That's all it's ever been, right? The more data we give up, the more we get out of it. But obviously, we have that sacrifice of data and privacy as we go. But what happens is that there becomes a point where people get so much utility out of it that not only are they happy to give over that privacy, but they also just stop caring and stop, uh, stop caring about it. And therefore, they begin to trust these services. And we've begun to see the same thing time and again, whether that was giving credit card details to Amazon in the early days because they could get you a book in 24 hours to connecting with my friends on Facebook. I'm willing to give you basically all of my life's information to keep track of what people are up to. And now we've seen the same thing in voice. I'm willing to give over that recording of my voice and even the potential that these devices listen to me on a regular basis because it freed me to get so much more done because I'm not having to have a screen in front of me. I'm not having to be tethered to a device anymore. And so we see this time and time again. And that trust and empathy is a big part. And this is why it's so interesting for people working in the, in the voice space, in, in the voice acting and voice over space in particular, is that one of the big things that really builds trust in these devices is that empathy, is that warmth, is that right character and profile of that voice for the right utility. And and what we're beginning to see, particularly on the technology side, is both um, the creation of these synthetic voices that can be based upon real voice actor profiles or the creation of entirely new voices from AI generated to try and fit those different use cases. But we're also seeing far greater utilities being provided by those platforms to make different voices for different use cases. So we're no longer tethered to just that one voice that carries through all of our experiences when we interact with this technology. And that's what's helping build that trust. Wow. Yeah, that that is definitely interesting that it's these sorts of, I guess, the empathy, um, I guess, when a voice talent's in studio, can they like infuse that empathy into the read? Or is this something that is being created by a machine? What do you think? Well, so what's really interesting we're seeing is there's a couple of major trends developing in this in this space. And I mentioned before this idea of synthetic voices. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that those voices come from entirely um, you know, kind of generated means. They're not entirely AI-based. In some cases, they're going to be coming from voice actors, like many of you who may be listening to this podcast, who are going to create samples and create voice models that will allow your voice to be carried forward into new and different use cases and maybe banish the days of having to just jump back into studios to do pickups um, to, to become a thing of the past. But what we're also beginning to see is that some of these synthetically trained voices can also still require us to have real voice actors around the place to bring them to life. And what I mean by that is, let's just take, say, for example, you've spent some time synthetically duplicating, I don't know, Morgan Freeman's voice, right? Now, you can obviously kind of write text and have that spoken out through his his lovely, deep, 
I can't do the accent, but you know, you can have a go and have a go at doing that. But what we also can do is now speech to speech synthetic translation, which is really fascinating, which is when we can take these synthetic voice models and actually have them brought to life by voice actors who can embody those voices and kind of think of it like, you know, kind of going into a game and putting on a new skin or a new avatar. Mm. You're still the one playing, but you look different. And it's the same thing with being able to go in and play the way that you would play, act the way you would act, speak the way you would speak, but be brought to life with a different voice. And that's where there's a, a new generation of people that may also begin to come into this arena. That's wild. I, I had even thought, like, you know, it, the first thing when you said, I'm like, okay, I know what motion capture is. And it's kind of like you're moving in there, but it shows a different, you know, potentially a different body. Like, let's say Lord of the Rings, go back to Gollum and, and you've got Andy Serkis running around with little dots yeah, all over himself. Absolutely. But, but you don't see Andy, you see Gollum. So like, it's the same thing, but with your voice. Yeah, that's a, gr- that's a great example a very, and a very good analogy for it. Yeah, it's very much that principle of we can begin to puppeteer the voices of other people that have been previously created as well. So it's not just about having your voice duplicated, but maybe being able to manipulate and manage the voice of somebody else. That is just like out of this world, James. Like <laughs> just people listening to this, I'm, I know my head's just going to like, yeah. like there's too much, there's too much. Um, but, you know, this is where it's all going. And, and there's all kinds of interesting ways that voice is being used and, and puppeteering with the voice. Like, I don't know, like it's where you seeing, you know, Big Bird and someone's in the suit and, you know, they're doing That's the voice. It. <laughs> but yeah. it's, but this is. But, you know, that puppeteering thing is fascinating. And maybe just to kind of give another kind of example why we're excited about this and why you know, I can imagine many people worrying about this. Maybe is this a threat to my job? Is this going to you know, mm. kind of take over? But actually what we're beginning to find is there are many voice actors and also professional celebrities and you know, people like that that you know, are being able to reach new um, audiences entirely because of this technology. In particular, because say take you, you know, we take a, take a famous voice actor that you know of. So let's say Hugh Jackman, for example, right? Take, mm. you know, take his voice kind of very obvious kind of Australian kind of back but he does some interesting accents when he tries to do different parts but he can't speak Spanish he can't speak Swahili and with this technology we're now able to synthetically duplicate his voice and not just allow it to sound like him you know speaking with a funny accent but we can actually make him speak French we can make him speak Spanish and it sounds like him speaking French and it sounds like him speaking Spanish even though he doesn't know these languages so for that, yeah, we've got examples of voice actors and podcasters and you know, kind of um, celebrities now having their voices synthetically duplicated. We're even working on a program right now for a major pastor in, in North America to have his voice synthetically duplicated so that his sermons on a Sunday can be translated into Spanish for his Spanish audiences and have them listen to them like it's him speaking Spanish for the first time. So you can imagine what this might mean for everybody (laughs) from, you know, kind of individual influencers to CEOs to you know, your customer services reps, all the way through, obviously, to dubbing and subbing out content that maybe you as a voice actor can't speak those languages. You know, the opportunities there are huge. Wow. Okay. Like little, the, that's just everything you just said just kind of hit me like a big tidal wave here. So I'm just like, <laughs> whoa. Because I know that sometimes there's nuance between languages and so on. And uh, if you were to have a, a voice filter, say Spanish for Hugh Jackman, and it's, a, I don't know, not to say that film is less important, but but let's just say, you know, you got Wolverine doing whatever, and, and he's talking in Spanish. And it, like, it's not nearly as bad if there's a few slip ups in language or the wrong word is used, um, you know, for him in that situation. But if you were to take, say, that pastor you just talked about, and if something were to be out of context or not the right word, or like, that could get pretty dicey. So, so like, how, how do you ensure the integrity of the translation? 
Well, so obviously the integrity of the translation still comes down to traditional translation services and making sure that that content has been written in the right language, right? So when we translate it, we're not just sticking it to Google Translate and hoping for the best. Uh, oh, know, that's, good. <laughs> that's definitely needs to be, that needs to, definitely, the translation element of it definitely needs to be managed. Mm. But once we have that script in the right language, we then have this ability to put that synthetic voice model through and generate the audio that sounds like that person speaking uh, that language correctly. Gotcha, we, we do a yeah. lot of work with our partners at Veritone, who I'm sure many listening may be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and using their Veritone voice software, we're beginning to do this for projects on, on behalf of some Vixen clients right now. And um, yeah, one of the things I love about that is because it has this integrity built into it of being everything that comes out of the platform is digitally watermarked so we can track it. We know that it's been created safely by that voice model inside the platform and has been verified by the person that had created that voice model or given us permission to use that voice model. So it's one of the, the benefits we have of using that solution. But you know, whether or not um, you're doing this yourself as an individual or doing this on behalf of a brand, you can imagine the opportunities this gives to kind of scale um, different voices into you know jurisdictions that just never would have before had content in their own language spoken by the actor that they know and love of the their whatever voice or whatever language that person originally spoke. Um, it oh, opens wow. up so many possibilities. I just thought of a job that could be lost. Actually, as you're saying this, is the the talent who are the voice of Brad Pitt in this country or the voice of you know Julia Roberts in this. Sure. Country. Are they gonna like? Is that gonna affect well, them? Well, I like think dubbing, for dubbing pre-established for, for for established actors and for established acting, um, you know, kind of talent. Many of them, as you say, they have the 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 Brad Pitt of Mexico or whoever, and that voice yeah. is now so recognizable in that market that you know you wouldn't um, you wouldn't swap that out. You wouldn't go changing mm. that at this point. But I do think it means that for new talent that are coming through, maybe where that's never been created, but particularly also for languages that often get forgotten. I, I you have many colleagues across um, Europe, you know, kind of the, the, my friends and colleagues over in the Netherlands, for example, or in Sweden or Denmark, where they like, do you know what? Most of the time people just don't bother subtitling or dubbing into our languages. We just get the English version or, so, or something cl- close. You know, mm. that, that opens up the opportunity for us to actually just make content so much more accessible. and But also the content that wouldn't usually get that service right yes tv take it for granted movies we know that that often comes with the rights and publishing but think about all of the blog posts that are being written think about all the the thousands and thousands of podcasts that are being created every single day which in the majority that are often only ever heard by people that speak the mother tongue of that that author or actor we now have that ability to take what content that would usually be seen as kind of too cheap or you know kind of too simplistic and never get either never get taken into voice at all even in english um and then you know see that not only get taken into english but you know, I, you know obviously speaking to you guys in toronto right you know if you want to have this stuff in french and english that's often a problem right many of the mm-hmm. kind of content creators only create for one or the other and it's really expensive and time consuming to do both particularly for content that's being created so frequently like news bulletins podcasts blog posts tweets even <laughs> we can right. now begin to have those interactions in language with with maintaining the empathy and integrity of the voices that originally created them in their mother tongue. I think that's what makes it so exciting. Wow. Wow. That is wild. And and just thinking like, uh, yeah, I'm sure that that technology will come along. We know that entertainment is kind of like the final frontier, for, if you'll excuse the um, the kind of idea of that. But, but I just think that 
when we have a synthetic voice or, or a kind of an AI voice working in a, a field that is traditionally dominated by live actors, like um, entertainment, um, animation in particular, uh, you know, audiobooks, I know that a lot of people just dread, they, they don't even want to see the day where they're listening to an AI voice reading an audiobook, because that just to them is just like, no, that's not storytelling like that. So like, are there some limitations here, James, that, that you know are inherent to this I think what we're seeing is that for now, the majority of this um, technology is best deployed around short form pieces of audio content, usually, you know, kind of in the in the sub few minutes um, of examples. We have seen, particularly on the translated front, people doing this for podcasts and, you know, kind of the half hour shows type things. But that's usually for that translation use case rather than synthetically generating large chunks of audio because it doesn't exist already in an English audio format, for example. Audiobooks is an interesting one because depending on the format of the audiobook, um, you know, I agree, narrative fiction, quite difficult. Even <laughs> much um, non-fiction, also um, not, not necessarily interesting. But many textbooks, for example, or, you know, kind of other forms of uh, educational content that maybe is much more short form, more bite-sized, actually we can see that this can be used. And the fidelity that we can get these voices to now um, you know, is, is often good enough for those examples. Where I actually think we're going to see this really come into its own is both in the corporate sector and also on the kind of written web where much content wasn't being turned into audio. We've seen more and more examples of people embedding these native audio players into their websites so that it generates a synthetically read audio version of an article, for example, or a blog post, an instructional video, perhaps those types of pieces of content. You can begin to see where that might be really useful. I think we're going to see massive use of this by influencers and YouTube creators who are creating short-form video content, but often only in one language, um, or where they want to generate many versions. You know, take I don't know. Say you make demo videos of you. Know, I've got a pair of Bose headphones on my desk. No credit to Bose, but I'll always take an extra pair if you're sending them. Um, you know, kind of how many different pairs of headphones are there? How many different car versions are there out there? Perhaps we need to bring to life lots of these different instruction manuals or other pieces of content. So I think short form content in particular, but as the fertility gets better, there is no reason to not believe that we won't get to a state of play where longer form content could be generated um, in these fictions. One of the things I mentioned at the top of the, the d discussion was around the metaverse. I think that this is an area where we're going to really see this stuff come into its own. You know, we're not going to type into the metaverse. We're not going to read the metaverse. We are going to talk to it and listen to it. And if we really believe the future, whether that's an augmented reality one where we're wandering around with, you know, kind of AR glasses on or in VR headsets experiences, these are going to be experiences where we are going to be talking to and interacting with many types of individuals, be they synthetic or real. And there will be a lot of audio content that needs to be made available. And if you want major services, things like financial services, things like healthcare things like governmental services, to be viable in that environment, you have to make it available to all of the people that need to interact with it. And therefore, the content that previously has lived on a web page that we often leave it to Google to auto-translate is going to have to be brought to life vocally in an audible fashion in these experiences because they are, for all intents, 3D voice-driven experiences, right? And for, if you want any of those services, whether you're McDonald's, the you know, kind of Quebecois government, <laughs> through to you know kind of whoever it is you know that's um yeah kind of managing your local takeaway they all need to be able to interact with many different voices at scale and out and asynchronously right we need to be, you're not going to have a bunch of people sat there staffing the virtual phone lines of the metaverse but these things are going to have to be <laughs> driven by ai experiences otherwise they will never scale 
beyond the time that is available to the individuals that can be employed to be there. So all of these experiences will rely upon us to have these AI-driven voice experiences. And that's where I think particularly we'll see the synthetic um, creation of not only synthetic voices, but avatars and everything else um, really begin to take flight. Yes. Um, just yesterday when I was preparing for this interview, I was looking through, you know, YouTube videos of, you know, famous computer voices, you know, from before, like from Star Trek, how we have Mabel Barrett, Roddenberry, um, you know, as the voice of the computer in Star Trek. And I think the earlier clips, she's definitely sounded more robotic. But then as she started talking to you and, you know, by the time you've got her talking to data or data, however, I think it's data in this series. That's always the word. Like, how do you say it? Data or data? So far as like, you know, <laughs> North Americans are concerned. Exactly. Um, but, you know, like the voice as, as these voices are with AI are getting better and better all the time. Just kind of a, a little example there to kind of compare for those who are Trekkie who might be like, oh, yeah, I remember the computer voice kind of progressed in certain ways. Um, you know, but there are some telltale signs that, as you've said, this technology is not exactly on par with the human voice. So uh, what are those signs that people who are maybe a little keenly attuned to it with their ears can listen for yeah. to know whether or not it's real or, or a synthetic? Well, so I, some of the things that we find is that certain um, accents and inflections are a little bit hard to duplicate. If someone's got a particularly pokey version of an accent or maybe they've spent, you know, kind of, um, 50% of their year, you know, kind of in North America and the other half in Australia, you're going to kind of find that harder to duplicate because those sounds are just not going to come out well. There's also, you know, most of the voice models and language models that we use to train with a lot of training data tend to be with the, you know, kind of 40,000, you know, you know, not the full 40,000 words of the English language, but usually about the 4,000 words that we use most of the time. And so when you train these data models, it means that they're not always able to pick up on things like synonyms, homonyms and things like that. But also on uh, just difficult words or uncommon words. I mentioned this example that we're working on with a church right now. Yeah, there are some pretty long lists of names in the Old Testament, oh, yeah. which you should have a go at yeah. trying to read out loud for anybody <laughs> that speaks even English in mother tongue, let alone ask a computer to do that effectively the first mm -hmm. time out. So, yeah, there are going to be words in the languages that are also harder to get right. But also many you know, regular people can't get those right either. So it's worth worth watching out for. So there's definitely areas where this will take time to improve. And usually you can um, tell the better trained models and you know, look at how, your, how good your Alexa or how good your Google Assistant is at talking back to you. It's because it's being trained on millions of people's you know, voice training data, speaking to it every single day in a whole variety of different languages and models. Um, when you go interact with maybe a voice that's been created in a studio, uh, maybe for a single use case, it's probably not going to be as good because it just simply hasn't been trained by the same level of data. So there's definitely a, a sliding scale on how good these things get. Um, but we're certainly seeing that the both the cost of entry and also the use cases for it are are coming down and, and going up respectively. And uh, you're going to you know, begin to find it harder and harder, I think, to tell the difference uh, between these two things to the point where, you know, even Amazon themselves are beginning to make this available in some form of consumer accessible version with us being able to duplicate our own voices to you know, my, my uh, colleague Rich Merritt, who um, goes by Echo Dad on, on YouTube. Um, he reviews kind of all sorts of things for uh, that what you can do with your Echo. Yeah, he's done versions where he's you know, read bedtime stories for his kids. And um, yeah, kind of when he's away, the kids you know, try and guess whether or not this is really Dad's voice or an Echo <laughs> voice or whatever. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, that would know, be a we'll fun see, game. We'll see consumer applications of this as well, I think, in, in due course. 
Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is that, you know, when it comes to reading, you know, genealogies and that sort of thing, uh, the voices right now for AI are are no Max McLean, they're no David Suchet. Is that fair? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, David Suchet is kind of the high bar that we kind of go for here in in the UK who... um, who reads the NIV translation in, in the Uversion Bible app. So definitely is worth, worth a listen. Yeah, I mean, we, we know that they can get close and, and they are getting closer all the time. So I think that's something that we're, we're looking for and seeing whether or not we can kind of get to that stage. But particularly in the, that kind of longer form audio, it's definitely harder to get your heads around. Um, but, you know, it's just a matter of time. These robots are pretty, pretty crafty. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, that's what the, uh, the robots are coming. You know, like sound like little chicken, little running. But the sky is falling. The sky well, yeah. is falling. All the time, I'm saying the robots are coming for so long. And uh, I think that there's just something that can't be replicated, frankly, by these robotic um, synthetic voices. And it's that we as humans, we we have a soul. Like there's something that these machines do not have um, that clearly, you know, humans are are endowed with. Um, so um, I think we're safe to say there's going to be a role for voice actors in, <laughs> yeah, in no, what we're doing. And, and let me yeah. be clear, voice actors are not going anywhere. If anything, they become mm. all the more important, both in terms of being able to bring to life those experiences that cannot be replicated, but mm. also to help us create the best-in-class voices that we need out there because every voice is unique. And so every synthetic voice also needs to be unique, right? No right. brand out there wants to just be pulling down... Yeah, it's like... It's like when you see a brand logo that's been written in Arial or Times New Roman, you're like, guys, you could have done better, right? So whether that is a a voice that's been synthetically duplicated or Uh it is voice acted in the first instance, um, we're going to need these unique voices because we all have them to generate Mm. the next slew of artificial voices. There just comes a scale that becomes available to us with 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 the technology backing us, but we still need that heart, that empathy, that originality that comes from original voices to power that next generation uh, of AI voices. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I was just talking to Bev Standing the other day, um, a voice artist who has, you know, been involved in, in this kind of work inadvertently, we'll say. <laughs> you know, for her, she became the voice of TikTok without knowing it. Um, that's that's a whole other story. Um, but, you know, like this idea of voice cloning, um, you know, it's something that's very important right now for talent to understand. Uh, it's an opportunity. A lot of them are, are getting into it. Um, you know, even Bev says that she's still doing work in the EI space, uh, just selectively. Uh, but what can you tell us about voice cloning and, and what goes into it? Well, so voice cloning really is the process that we've been discussing. So if you were to come to uh, Vixen Labs and you were saying, I want to clone my voice, then, you know, you're, it's um, not the, the cheapest thing to do right now, but it's also not you know, becoming increasingly more available for many people. And typically what we'll need is um, both a, uh, first of all, a kind of signing over your right that you're having that voice recreated. We would then need some training data, so perhaps the you know, kind of podcast audio that you already have, or maybe show reels or existing example content that you've already created, or we can ask you to read lots of scripts that will kind of get you to the point where you've got enough audio to be created. But usually with between two to three hours worth of spoken audio, we can begin to duplicate a voice um, to a very high level of fidelity, but we can do it with as little as two to three minutes of spoken audio to get a kind of low fidelity model generated. And so once that's been done, then you would be able to have that access yourself to be able to generate audio out of the platform based upon your own voice. So then perhaps you can also begin to provide that content to you know, people at the other end. So that, that process of voice cloning, it really is you know, something that's entirely owned and driven by the original creator or whoever the paymasters of that creator are, I suppose, if you're already tied into a brand contract or something along those lines. But it's something that you know, very much it can be um, controlled and manipulated by that individual. 
um, and absolutely requires that individual's permission to do in the first place because it is such an important element of consent and control. And we want to create the, you know, you've heard this term of, of deep fakes before. We mm. want to create these ethically driven deep fakes, these, you know, kind of voices, that voice clones that we can all um, have confidence and trust in. And, and again, this is why, you know, we at Vixen and also at Veritone, where we partner with them, um, you know, work with people like the Open Voice Network to make sure that, you know, these, these, tenants of um you know, openness trust and privacy and security remain very much paramount in all that we're doing in this space because this this ai market is broadly unregulated and, and we need to ensure that you know kind of the community itself puts in great standards around doing so right and for anyone who's listening and you heard veritone veritone well it's familiar uh dear friends because veritone actually had recently just acquired vocal id which, if you know Dr. Rupal Patel, that's her company. Um, you know, obviously Rupal's wonderful. I'm, I'm really happy that they've gone ahead and had this this neat step in, in their progression for for what they're all doing. Um, but yeah, a lot of talent in the community do know who who Rupal is. So I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that. Um, and uh, yeah, she's she's very much versed in this whole idea of of replicating voices for various reasons. So um, obviously we've talked about what kind of goes into voice clones and why and and, and who's using them. I'm guessing these are brands that what want, but obviously a talent. If, if you're a voice artist and you want to clone your own voice and sell it as, you know, an AI solution, you know, off, you know, to any client who might want to buy it, then then that's an option as well. I guess you just have to go to the right place to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. And if anyone wants to kind of get in touch and find out more about how, how to do so, we're more than happy to help guide you on those steps and and, and take you through the process of what it is that requ- is required to, to ju- generate that voice and to then manage that you know, kind of an ongoing basis, because we are going to see people want to get into this themselves. They're going to want to do it get ahead of the game perhaps particularly if you're mm-hmm. tied into pre-existing contracts just read the fine print carefully um but i suppose that's always always the good advice um or you know kind of work with talented folks like yourselves to make sure that they get selected in the first place so yeah i'm sure that this will become a, a you know kind of ongoing part of everyone's um you know kind of selection processes you know thinking about what rights they're giving over yeah and yeah i think we're going to begin to see you know kind of synthetic voice cloning rights begin to show up in contracts um you know for for voice actors if it's not already doing so. I mean, Stephanie, you know better than, than I, but um, I think that that's uh, an inevitability as the platforms that allow us to make this stuff happen, whether that is, yeah, the folks at, at Veritone or, or other competitors that are in that space, um, you know, as that becomes more consumer available, uh, people are going to start doing this, you know, themselves and, and try and manage that pr- platform and, and their virtual presence themselves. And I believe they should, because actually, you know, our voices are unique identifiers to us. They are a there's something that is uniquely yours. And I, I believe that we should hold the rights and, and management o- over those things. But if you work with the right partners to do that, you can maintain that rights and maintain that ownership while also leveraging that great asset that you have as a voice actor uh, when you take it into the synthetic space. Right. That That's so key. Like everything you've said about just having contracts in place and understanding how is my voice going to be used? Where is it going to be used? By whom is it going to be used? Because there's all sorts of things that could happen with your voice and just like what happened with Bev all of a sudden one day she's the voice of cats on videos on TikTok and she has no idea until people have told her and and just like wait a minute um so like there are likely ways that you're aware of potentially I don't know um of how people can actually safeguard or protect themselves in this process is is that embedded in your process just a way to make sure that the talent and the brands you're serving have a a full understanding of of what they're agreeing to and and how things should work yeah so particularly if brands are coming to us and saying yeah we want to create a synthetic voice then we'll always want to review pre-existing contracts they already have with voice actors and if the provisions aren't there recommend them to put those provisions in place 
Whereas if voice actors are coming to us themselves, well, that, that's great. That's their own rights to be able to kind of manage that themselves, which is, uh, which is fantastic. And I think this area is still very much in its evolutionary stage. Mm. We're beginning to see, um, you know, in some cases, people allowing synthetic voice creations with caveats. So you can create my synthetic voice, but you can only use it for this project or for this purposes. Therefore, following very similarly to, um, you know, kind of standard contract terms that you would already expect for talent. But we are beginning to see some people, you know, saying, well, hang on a minute, I don't want to, you know, what if I've been, have my rights to this bought in perpetuity, which I would never particularly (laughs) recommend in the first place. But if it has, well, does that mean my synthetic voice is also available for all use cases? And of course, Mm -hmm. the answer should be no to that. So again, trying to make sure that you would um, put all of the same standard uh, checks, balances, caveats and and considerations into contracting um, your synthetic voice as you would do your own. Whether you can command the same fees and charges is a different thing, uh, based on, very much because obviously there is a time element that is being saved, but particularly if you've invested that time yourself up front to create that voice, then there's also something to be considered there. So it's, it's always a balance. And when people come to us at Vixen, we'll be managing that process between the brand, the voice actor, uh, you know, our platform partners at Veritonia and, and that use case and try and kind of come to agreements that make make it fair and equitable for all because as I say, you know, voices, whether they are synthetically created or, you know, kind of originally actor owned, um, they are unique identifiers and they carry weight and value that we should, um, you know, kind of uh, treat with respect uh, and honour the the work of, of great actors that come forward to do so. Absolutely. So we should assume that licensing is always a part of this. It should never be in perpetuity because your your voice could be off. Like we've used the example of maybe you're the voice of Coca-Cola. That's just for compare, uh, like yeah. for argument's sake, just say Coca-Cola. And then all of a sudden your synthetic voice is running along doing its own little thing and someone's got it voicing Pepsi. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is like the worst possible, you know, um, <laughs> thing to happen to have these two brands that are head to head with their product um, having the same voice or, or a market being oversaturated with the voice that it shouldn't be there. And and so I guess it's the Wild West is kind of what I'm getting from you, James, is that maybe the policing of this isn't as, as um, I guess, figured out yet, other than someone hears your voice, it's not being yeah, used the right way. Yeah, I think way. that's you, true, that the policing of it hasn't been, hasn't been figured out entirely. I think that um, it's not quite the Wild West yet, because we just don't have it happening on that right scale right now. There's still quite a higher cost of barrier to entry, cost being the main one, and and obviously also just kind of the, the types of brands that are technologically... Um, yeah, advanced enough to know that this is even an option that they should be considering, right? So those things are kind of helping manage that tide. But I think it's really important that we begin to set great, really great governance around this stuff as we begin to put these things in place. It's, again, it's why we work with our partners to make sure that this stuff is you know, done in a safe and secure way, in a way that is in a kind of trusted platform that users have the option to opt out of. I mean, I think we, we may see a time when certain actors and, and certain voice talent or even just individuals begin to put their voice prints, their synthetic voices into the public domain. I think that's I think there's a possibility that that may happen in the future. And I also think that we'll see, um, you know, particularly with the evolution of a lot of the NFT and kind of blockchain technology, people beginning to capture their voice prints as what I've often termed NFVs, non-fungible voices, uh, voices that come with smart contracts that can be managed uh, that can be used as you know, kind of biomarkers and identifiers, but also to be used for content creation in in the synthetic and digital spaces. But actually, be managed and where you can manage your own identity and marker for that, because at the moment there isn't a marketplace for it. So I think we'll see new kind of uh, technology solutions come along to help us kind of govern that space as well. Wow, NFVs. Wow. Okay, that's a term that I've not heard before today, James Poulter. So you you've got that one coined, probably. I don't know. I'll take that. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. You know what? There's so much left on the table to talk about, and we're just going to have to have you come back. Well, I, w- I would absolutely love to do that. Yeah, and by all means, carry on the conversation. Can I maybe suggest that yeah, if people are, are interested in listening, then yeah, the best place to start is really with the, the Voice Consumer Index that we spoke about at, at the start. Um, you know, we, we've done this report now for a few years and, and, again, made it publicly available for free for people to go and download and digest because we truly believe that this is a really important, as I say at the start, a tipping point for the industry as this becomes more commonplace. So, um, yeah, happy to dive into more of those findings with you uh, another time, Stephanie, but people can, can go and do so themselves right now. Absolutely. So, so James, um, what's your website? How can people go and get that great document? Like, we'll link to it from our show notes, but I, I'd love for you to give that information now. Yeah, sure. So, if you're uh, you know listening in, um, then you just go to www.vixenlabs. That's v-i-x-e-n-l-a-b-s. dot c-o. No. dot com. No. dot co. uk. Because we're you know, <laughs> trying to be cool like that. Uh, just head there, um, and you can go and download the report today. And there's an executive summary document you can download. You can sign up for upcoming webinars um, to be able to kind of digest this information yourselves. And you can also drop us an email, uh, just info at vixenlabs.co if you would like to kind of arrange uh, an opportunity for us to take that through for maybe a customer or a client or a brand. Um, So if you want to schedule um, a direct session, then you can do that too. Outstanding. Thank you so much, James, for being on the show. Oh, such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It's always fun to yeah, kind of dig into this topic uh, in much more detail. And, and I'm excited to kind of see when the next time we chat, how far it's come. And that's the way we saw the world through the lens of voiceover this week. Thank you for joining me here on Vox Talk. This was such a great, informative show. We have James Poulter. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this amazing information. Like, I, I don't even know the number of times that I just stopped and had to, like, you know, process what James was saying. And I I typically process right in the moment, but it's going to take me a while to, to kind of come down from after the, this talk. So I hope you all enjoyed it. You got a lot of the show. We'll sure to have James back on um, for Voices. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. Vox Talk is produced by Jeff Bremner. This is Vox Talk you've been listening to, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.